0: Hello, friends, and welcome back to the British Royal Fanatic Podcast. I'm Hayden, your American friend, with a passion for British Royal history. Before we get into things today, we do have a few more updates. The condition of Prince Philip seems to have gotten a little scary. I'm not going to lie. After I posted the episode on Monday, there was a whole slew of updates regarding him posted not only by the royal family official social media, but also by other news outlets. According to the BBC, he is being treated for an infection, and doctors are also carrying out further tests and observations for a pre-existing heart condition. He was first taken about two weeks ago to King Edward VII Hospital, but has since been transferred to St. Bartholomew's Hospital. It is said that he's responding well to treatments and that he's comfortable. And somewhere towards the end of last week, beginning of this week, he was on the phone with Prince Charles briefly and the entire family's on pins and needles. It was reported that on Wednesday, the Duchess of Cornwall made a statement that said the treatments are going well, he's doing all right, but that he's in pain at times, and that the treatments can sometimes hurt. So everybody's on pins and needles regarding the Duke of Edinburgh. He's almost 100, and he's been in hospital for almost two weeks now. And I saw a news source post that royal commentators are saying the fact that he's spending so much time in hospital, and given his age and how long he's been away from public life, is a little concerning. So Everybody's on pins and needles, and here at the podcast, we wish him well and hope he makes a speedy recovery. Additionally, at the end of this week, there is the big tell-all interview with the Duke and Duchess of Sussex and Oprah. The interview is titled Oprah with Meghan and Harry, and some small clips have been released into the public sphere to tease Prince Harry talks about how he can't imagine the pain of leaving the royal family alone, like what his mother, Diana, Princess of Wales, went through. And there was a sensitive moment there where he says that he's glad that they had each other. And there's a lot of shots where Oprah is going, wow, you've really revealed a lot. Wow, you're you really saying X, Y, and Z. And one point that really stands out to me is she looks at Megan and goes, okay, were you silent or were you silenced? So it'll be interesting There are times where Meghan is alone one-on-one with Oprah, and then they do come back together. In the little teaser trailer, Harry even went to say that he didn't want history repeating itself, which is why he made the decision that he did. Questions that are on the table are questions about marrying into the royal family, what it was like, pressure uh, the Duchess experienced, what was decisions that led them to leave they'll probably talk about the feud between prince william and prince harry i don't know that's me conjecturing now i did watch a few royal commentary interviews and one of the things that they pointed out is why it's happening so soon is because now they're speaking on their own this is happening just after they've ended their trial year and they In some ways, people are insinuating that they waited until they were officially done with royal work to then have this interview, so that way nothing would be held against them. I don't know. I'm merely regurgitating sources from the news outlets that are reporting on it, and everybody's reporting on it. The interview will be a cbs special taking place on march 7th at 8 p.m eastern standard time and you can bet that i will be reporting on it this coming monday people are also saying that this interview is turning the royal family into a soap opera again and the general public is having mixed feelings about the duke and duchess of sussex again those are some of your royal updates these past few days it's going to be a lot especially with the interview coming out with the Duke and Duchess of Sussex. Returning back to our series on royal residences, today we talk about Clarence House. Currently it's the official London residence of their Royal Highnesses the Prince of Wales and the Duchess of Cornwall. Thanks to the crown, Clarence house has been put back into public interest as it was heavily used in the first two seasons. It has also seen a lot of history, especially when referring to Diana, Princess of Wales, as it was the last location where she spent her last night before marrying into the royal family. Of course, like much of the other royal residences we have talked about, Clarence House is open during the summer season to tour. You can walk the gardens and see the first floor public staterooms. Clarence House has been a massive part of the monarchy in very recent history, but how did this come to be? Where did Clarence House come from? How did it get its name? Well, stay tuned as we turn back pages of history and delve into the history of Clarence House. Today's sources for this podcast are a wonderful article written by royalcentral.co.uk and, of course, the official royal family's website. Clarence House is located on the Mall in the city of Westminster, London. The four-story building is actually attached to St. James's Palace and is less than a five-minute walk from Buckingham Palace. That's one thing that was interesting, interesting to me, that it's attached to St. James's Palace— I was under the impression that it was its own freestanding building, but no, it's attached. Its white stone facade stands out against the dark brick of St. James's Palace, and in my opinion, it's a very beautiful home. In terms of royal residences, this one again is one of the quote unquote newer residences, even though it has over 200 years of history. Additionally, it's history when compared to other residences that we will talk about and what we have talked about. It's rather tame, and in some cases, it's actually quite refreshing. Clarence House is one of the rare instances of a royal residence actually having its origins in the Crown Estate. It has always been a official royal residence owned by the Crown Estate. His Royal Highness Prince William Henry, the Duke of Clarence, later King William IV and the third son of King George III, Commissioned the house on his own and it was built between 1825 and 1827. With the success of all of the projects completed by his brother, King George IV, John Nash was asked to bring Clarence House to life. Where have we heard John Nash before? I can hear you shouting. It was Buckingham Palace, yes. He is the architect that helped convert Buckingham House into Buckingham Palace. It is widely thought that the Duke had Clarence House built because at the time he found the neighboring St. James's Palace too crammed. It is known that at this time, tastes within the royal family and the court were changing and St. James's Palace was being seen as this old antiquated area that was not well suited for the needs that they had at the time. And of course, with John Nash, we already know the scandal and mess that followed John Nash when he was working on Buckingham Palace. But Clarence House was built rather quickly, and from what I've seen, didn't cause much of a scandal, aside from the fact that the future king was not speaking highly of St. James's Palace, which was the center of court life at this time. Now, after the death of King George IV, the new king, King William IV, used Clarence House as his official residence. He split time between Clarence House and St. James's Palace, which, of course, being that they share much of the land... very easy to understand. It is known that King William IV did not care much for Buckingham Palace, he didn't like it at all, even wanting to go so far as to either dismantle it, sell it, or use it as military barracks. And just to keep in mind, King William IV would reign from 1830 to 1837. Following the death of King William IV in 1837, his sister, Her Royal Highness Princess Augusta Sophia, lived at Clarence House until her death in 1840. Subsequently, the house was then occupied by Her Royal Highness the Duchess of Kent and Strathern, also known as Her Serene Highness, Princess Victoria of Saxe-Coburg-Southfield, also known as the Mother of Queen Victoria. The Duchess of Kent would live at Clarence House until her death in 1861. Following, it then became the home of Queen Victoria's second son, Her Royal Highness Prince Alfred, Duke of saxe coburg and Goethe, also known as the Duke of Edinburgh. So we're seeing it just pass from family member to family member to family member, and people seem to be okay with living at it. Following the death of Prince Alfred in 1900, his younger brother, His Royal Highness Prince Arthur, Duke of Conneaut in Strathern, lived at Clarence House until he passed away in 1942. During his time at Clarence House, for a brief period in the 1930s, it was the location for the library of the School of Oriental and African Studies until all universities were evacuated from London in 1939, and the school was temporarily relocated to Cambridge. Now, put your thinking caps on. Why did this happen? London was preparing for World War II. During World War II, the house was badly damaged during the bombings of of the Blitz. And after the death of His Royal Highness the Duke of Conneaut in 1942, it was used by the Red Cross and St. John's Ambulance Brigade as their headquarters for the remainder of the war. As we enter into a post-World War II Britain, We now get to see this newly married couple. They were known as their royal highnesses, the Duke and Duchess of Edinburgh, Princess Elizabeth and Prince Philip, you guessed it, the current monarch, and her consort. They moved into Clarence House shortly after their wedding in 1947. Of course, the house needed a massive refurbishment not only to repair it from the war being used by the Red Cross and St. John's Ambulance Brigade, but also to make it a home. It hadn't been used as a home in a few years, and it needed a lot of updates. Regarding Clarence House, Princess Anne was born there in 1950. Between their life at Clarence House and their time spent at Malta, the this was a wonderful time of bliss for the couple. They were a happy couple. They loved their time at Clarence House. Not only has the show The Crown depicted how happy they were at Clarence House, but it was true. They really liked it. But of course, they had hopes of spending more time there than what they got. Unfortunately... The bliss and happiness would be short-lived, as upon the death of King George VI and the ascension of the new Queen Elizabeth II in 1953, they moved out of Clarence House and into Buckingham Palace. I have read in the book Elizabeth, um, Elizabeth the Queen by Sally Biddle Smith that it is true that they were a little bit reluctant to want to leave Clarence House. They wanted to try to follow in King William IV's footsteps. And live at Clarence House, but have all official business be at Buckingham Palace, but britain was in a very precarious state they were still feeling the effects of world war ii and the monarchy was still feeling the effects of the abdication so ultimately they succumbed to pressure and moved into buckingham palace with this new transition into a new sovereign the queen mother and princess margaret left buckingham palace and took up residence at clarence house Princess Margaret would move out of Clarence House and into Kensington Palace, Apartment 1A in 1960 following her marriage to Anthony Armstrong Jones. Also in the book, Elizabeth the Queen by Sally Bettle Smith, there's a fun anecdote that makes me giggle. Apparently the Queen Mother was not too keen in leaving Buckingham Palace. She liked her time there, and of course, she was Queen Consort. And now she was the queen mother and a lot of her influence and power within the family was being reduced because queen elizabeth was now the head queen elizabeth ii apparently the story goes she was very reluctant to leave buckingham palace and in order to get the message across they had to slowly move things out of her apartments shut electricity off pull paintings out furniture turn the heat off and in some ways force her out of buckingham palace she did not want to leave buckingham palace at first but eventually she did find happiness at clarence house and she lived there for a long time she's one of the longest residents to have ever lived at clarence house the queen mother would reside at clarence house until her death in 2002 that's from 1953 until 2002 Af- of course after a period of mourning and updating the house the prince of wales moved in in 2003 and it has been his official london residence ever since both prince william and prince harry have resided at clarence house for very short periods of time prince william lived there from 2003 to 2011 and prince harry lived there from 2003 to 2013. The home has seen a lot of updates in terms of structure, staff areas, private bedrooms, and gardens. And I believe the fence has seen some updates. But in large part, from what I've been told, the public rooms on the first floor resemble a lot of how the Queen Mother left it when she resided there for so long. In some ways, it is a way to pay homage to the Queen Mother as she was a big part of the monarchy in pop culture we have seen clarence house the most thanks to peter morgan's the crown it was a very important backdrop in season one and season two but we have seen it from time to time appear in season three and season four but the importance of the building isn't felt anymore as the family gets older and the storyline shifts that's that's not where they want to focus things anymore and it's peter morgan's show he does what he wants Of course, they couldn't use the real house for Clarence House because, of course, so instead they used parts of High Cannon's house in um, Hertfordshire as a stand-in. We can see mainly it's the foyer and this study and sitting room area that we see in the crown a lot depicting Clarence House. The exterior was shot on a soundstage and digitally put in, much like what they do with Ten Downing Street and Buckingham Palace. They have sound stages where they can cross light and green screen and digitally bring it to life when in reality. They're not using the real Clarence House at all. Currently, as England is still in lockdown, I haven't heard anything regarding whether the Prince of Wales or the Duchess of Cornwall have gone back to Clarence House. As far as I'm aware, they've been spending more of their time at either Highgrove or at Burke Hall because it's away from the city. It's around not a lot of people and they can be safer quarantining there. When they are working, the principal rooms on the first floor are where the Prince of Wales and the Duchess of Cornwall do most of their work. They're used for receptions and other official entertaining where they will receive official visitors to the UK, sometimes foreign ambassadors, charities meet there in those first floor state rooms, which of course you can tour. Regarding history, Clarence House has seen a lot. Aside from the birth of the Princess Royal, being used in World War II, surviving the Blitz. Diana, Princess of Wales, had some pretty impactful moments at Clarence House. In her interview on Netflix, Diana, in her own words, she briefly talks about Clarence House being cold and no one came to help her, which I can understand. It was very intimidating for her. But it was the last night she spent as a quote-unquote free woman. She... She had time with her sisters, and she was, of course, panicking, as we know um, history. But also, it was at Clarence House where she received the famous note in flowers from, at the time, Camilla Parker Bowles. Uh, Camilla sent her a letter congratulating her on her engagement and can't wait to see the ring, but it was postmarked before it all happened, and they went out to lunch, and we all know the story. Additionally, in 2011, Prince William and Prince Harry spent time and that's where they left from in order to go to Westminster Abbey for the wedding of Prince William to Catherine Middleton. And it's also there where the couple eventually went back to so that Catherine could change out of her wedding dress into her reception dress. And there's this famous news footage of the Prince of Wales, the Duchess of Cornwall, and the newly married, the Duke and Duchess of Cambridge, coming down the stairs. And she's in her other white Alexander McQueen gown. In the traditional summer season, Clarence House is open to the public, much like Buckingham Palace, Windsor Castle, the Palace of Hollywood House, and so forth. You can tour much of the first floor rooms, or also the principal rooms as they're sometimes referred to, as well as the gardens. It's unclear if they do provide night tours like Buckingham Palace and Windsor Castle, but I highly doubt it. It's a lot smaller than Buckingham Palace and Windsor Castle. It's, it's a much more intimate space. And from what I've heard, people enjoy it. They, they find it very fascinating. But also, I can understand why they wouldn't do night tours because there's not a lot to see. So the tours are very small. Hello, friends, and welcome back to the British Royal Fanatic Podcast. I'm Hayden, your American friend with a passion for British Royal history. Before we get into things today, we do have a few more updates. The condition of Prince Philip seems to have gotten a little scary. I'm not going to lie. After I posted the episode on Monday, there was a whole slew of updates regarding him posted not only by the royal family official social media, but also by other news outlets. According to the BBC, he is being treated for an infection, and doctors are also carrying out further tests and observations for a pre-existing heart condition. He was first taken about two weeks ago to King Edward VII Hospital, but has since been transferred to St. Bartholomew's Hospital. It is said that he's responding well to treatments, and that he's comfortable, and somewhere towards the end of last week, beginning of this week, he was on the phone with Prince Charles briefly, and the entire family's on pins and needles. It was reported that on Wednesday, the Duchess of Cornwall made a statement that said the treatments are going well, he's doing alright, but that he's in pain at times, and that the treatments can sometimes hurt. So, everybody's on pins and needles regarding the Duke of Edinburgh. He's almost 100, and he's been in hospital for almost two weeks now. And I saw a news source post that royal commentators are saying the fact that he's spending so much time in hospital, and given his age, and how long he's been away from public life, is a little concerning. So, Everybody's on pins and needles, and here at the podcast, we wish him well and hope he makes a speedy recovery. Additionally, at the end of this week, there is the big tell-all interview with the Duke and Duchess of Sussex and Oprah. The interview is titled Oprah with Meghan and Harry, and some small clips have been released into the public sphere to tease Prince Harry talks about how he can't imagine... The pain of leaving the royal family alone like what his mother diana princess of wales went through and there was a sensitive moment there where he says that he's glad that they had each other and there's a lot of shots where oprah is going wow you've really revealed a lot wow you're you really saying x y and z and one point that really stands out to me is she looks at megan and goes okay were you silent or were you silenced so it'll be interesting There are times where Meghan is alone one-on-one with Oprah, and then they do come back together. In the little teaser trailer, Harry even went to say that he didn't want history repeating itself, which is why he made the decision that he did. Questions that are on the table are questions about marrying into the royal family, what it was like, pressure uh, the Duchess experienced, what was decisions that led them to leave they'll probably talk about the feud between prince william and prince harry i don't know that's me conjecturing now i did watch a few royal commentary interviews and one of the things that they pointed out is why it's happening so soon is because now they're speaking on their own this is happening just after they've ended their trial year and they In some ways, people are insinuating that they waited until they were officially done with royal work to then have this interview, so that way nothing would be held against them. I don't know. I'm merely regurgitating sources from the news outlets that are reporting on it, and everybody's reporting on it. The interview will be a CBS special taking place on March 7th at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, and you can bet that I will be reporting on it this coming monday people are also saying that this interview is turning the royal family into a soap opera again and the general public is having mixed feelings about the duke and duchess of sussex again those are some of your royal updates these past few days it's gonna be a lot especially with the interview coming out with the duke and duchess of sussex Returning back to our series on royal residences, today we talk about Clarence House. Currently, it's the official London residence of Their Royal Highnesses the Prince of Wales and the Duchess of Cornwall. Thanks to the crown, Clarence house has been put back into public interest as it was heavily used in the first two seasons. It has also seen a lot of history, especially when referring to Diana, Princess of Wales, as it was the last location where she spent her last night before marrying into the royal family. Of course, like much of the other royal residences we have talked about, Clarence House is open during the summer season to tour. You can walk the gardens and see the first floor public staterooms. Clarence House has been a massive part of the monarchy in very recent history, but how did this come to be? Where did Clarence House come from? How did it get its name? Well, stay tuned as we turn back pages of history and delve into the history of Clarence House.